Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit and welcome to this week's Future of Media Explained, where I'm joined by Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford to talk about leadership in a downturn. So this week we're talking about leadership in a downturn with the new Hearst UK CEO, Katie Vanek-Smith. And I've got here with me Press Gazette's Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. Hi, Dom. Hi, Charlotte. How are you this week? Excellent. Despite the downturn? Well, I think having listened to Katie Vanek-Smith, I feel calmed. I feel she's an experienced CEO. She's been through a few downturns herself and I feel she's inspired me to keep calm and carry on. Oh, well, hopefully we can provide that for all of our listeners as well then. Do you want to start just by telling anyone who doesn't know who Katie is and why she's the perfect person for this? Well, she's got a pretty impressive CV. So she was president and chief customer officer of Dow Jones, which is the massive financial publisher which runs the uh, Wall Street Journal and a bunch of newswires as well. Since 2018, she's been co-founder of Tortoise along with James Harding. So I think that means she's been the sort of CEO or the kind of grown-up person who runs the business at Tortoise. And... As of this month, I believe, she's taken over as CEO of Hearst UK, which is one of the biggest UK magazine publishers. They they do Cosmopolitan, Elle, Good Housekeeping, like a bunch of brands you've heard of. We spoke to her. We actually did this, this one a little bit different. It was recorded live at our Future of Media Trends conference earlier this month. Yeah, and we caught her between jobs, which was nice and got to pick her brains a bit about the sort of things that are top of mind with the sort of looming gloom of the recession being uh, the sort of big topic. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time for it. We're going into the winter. People are buckling down, aren't they? But I must say, I heard Katie speak at a publisher podcast summit a couple of months ago, and she spoke about how they turned tortoise around by pivoting from long reads to really compelling podcasts and that their audio team had become profitable. So she's just in recent times made some big decisions that have really paid off. So I think it'll be really good to hear from her. Just before we do, do you have any more context for what's going on right now in the wider industry of why leaders might need to be thinking about how they're going to be tackling this? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the main thing is everyone's going to be looking to trim costs a little bit because we've got a bit of a downturn. But then at the same time, we've got high inflation, which we've not had for ages. So there's a sort of a lot of demands on leaders of businesses to kind of look after their people because their people have got to try and keep the lights on. And then at the same time, you've got a kind of weird tightness around the recruitment market. So there's it's quite hard to recruit people because there's in the economy at, at large, there's more vacancies than there are people looking for jobs. So yeah, it's quite a weird sort of situation to be sailing into. So it was interesting to get her take on that. And she also talked about tortoise a bit, and also about the sort of big leadership style questions. I asked her what sort of Katie Van Eck Smith's kind of style of leadership is, but started by asking her about that, that, that thing that you alluded to was how when they first launched Tortoise, things were going a bit wrong and how they fixed it. Well, I think if any startup doesn't pivot, it's probably not listening to what it's finding out along the way. I love the fact that you've almost positioned it as failure because that's the kind of, that's the world I came from in traditional media. You are often a bit scared of failing or trying or experimenting, but actually the premise, the hypothesis of Tortoise was that there was a place and space for slower, investigative news, not the breaking news, because there's brilliant breaking news sources in the UK, but actually more what's driving the news. And that hypothesis was right. That is true. There is a demand for slower investigative journalism. We, because myself and my co-founder James Harding had spent many years in the print industry, we believed that the answer to providing slow investigative content was, as you say, Dominic, long reads. Yeah, well, we were wrong. We were producing these reads. They took 25 to 35 minutes on average to read. And when you looked at the data and you saw people were reading for five to six minutes in digital land, that's pretty good. But it's not when you've written something that takes 35 minutes, i.e. no one's reading it. There's a bunch of us who've been in like digital media going, wow, it's amazing, six minutes. And I was like, yeah, but no one's reading it because it should take 35. And so we had this sort of moment where the combination of that, the data, the fact that we were producing all this wonderful journalism, but no one was actually getting to the end. So it's, we might as well all give up and go home. And also the fact that our audience skewed a lot younger because we were a new paid-for media brand. We were finding the majority of our members were under 40. The average age was about 38 at the beginning. And we had a couple of our open news meetings where everyone talked about the fact that they're, if they weren't listening to something, they weren't learning. And we had a bit of a light bulb moment, which was, well, why don't we just pivot everything and stop doing long reads and actually move to long listens and so that's what we do so taught us about 15 months in to the journey started doing podcasts and then at the beginning of 2021 january 2021 we were like right we are fully focused on podcast and audio first journalism so when we started the year in 2021 we had about 80,000 listeners a month and we ended the year with three million wow and so it seems to be going well. I mean, you've won lots of awards. <laughs> I know, I'm sure it is. You've got lots of awards. You've got 12, yeah. strong, 12 strong podcast newsroom. You've got 10 million pounds in your investment, which yeah. must, they, those investors must, they don't give that away, do they? So how's the sort of financial side of it going so far? Is it making some money and going into 
We're not profitable now. No. But we but you are, didn't expect to be yet, did no, you? No, we didn't expect to be yet. So we're on the path to profitability. We've got another sort of two years of money and runway to hopefully, with some of the headwinds of some of the recession and the downturn, hopefully that is the, the, a good enough glide path to profitability. But how's it going? It's going really well. I think the key thing we would say is that actually we don't carry advertising at Tortoise, but we have our members, we have partnerships, and we do have advertising off-platform in the podcast space. But what we've learned in the last 12 months is that actually in the same way that whether you're traditional media or startup media, diversification is the thing we're all looking for. Actually, the thing that's, that we didn't know when we meant to podcast but has actually become a really meaningful part of the revenue of Tortoise is IP. So because we're not doing breaking news, we're doing longer form investigative journalism in many ways, the IP of those stories is, is quite valuable. And we had a breakthrough hit at the end of last year with something called Sweet Bobby. If you haven't listened, it's about catfish. Apparently, if you're under 40, you go, oh, the poor girl. And if you're over 40, you go, how the hell does anyone fall for that? So I was in the how does anyone fall for it makes it it's still a great story. But all of the younger Tortoises were like, this is real thing. And I was like, okay. Anyway, I didn't know anything about catfishing before, but I know do now. So that was a big success on both sides of the Atlantic. And it got bought by a global major streaming platform. I'm not allowed to say who they are, but you can probably figure it out. And off the back of that, we then found that there was a lot of demand from studios and streamers around our stories. And you may or may not have seen, but we announced a couple of weeks ago that we've done a first look deal with Sky Comcast. And so Sky Studios now have first look on all of our stories to look to turn them into either scripted or non-scripted documentaries. So that's a bit exciting. Very exciting. Very Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so with your CEO hat on, which I guess is your main hat, going into recession, yeah. we've talked about that a lot this morning in terms of obviously not everything's going down, some things are going up, new ways to make money as well as ways to save money, but what would be your advice to uh, the media leaders in our audience about what to, how to approach this battening down the hatches period that we're heading into? So I think as a recession, what we've got is probably two years of not a really deep recession, but what we've actually got is quite a relentless recession. And the dynamics mean it feel, feels really different for people. So it feels really different for our consumers. And I think that you're going to see a lot more creative and campaigns looking at affordable job. Value is going to become the hygiene factor. Are you good value? That's going to be the hygiene. But I think the creative cut through is going to be around how do you position yourself around affordable joy? So I think people are going to be looking for affordable joy as consumers. I do worry about our own people. I do worry about our staff because we've come out of the sort of effects of a kind of COVID and a pandemic. And I do think that's, going to, that's had a real toll on people, on their energy, on their mental health, on their well-being. So I think that this is another thing that we are all as leaders going to have to be thinking about in terms of people. So I worry about those things and I think that is the backdrop. But I do think there are some things that are, I think, are kind of glimmers of gold or sort of things that I will be looking at with my new hat on as well. So I think the first thing is that actually from where I've just come from, I do think if you're looking at M&A or investment, it's really tough right now. But I think by 2023, the market will have adapted to the new dynamics and I think money will come back. But I think what it will do is it will be behind those really good ideas and good businesses. So I think they'll, your money was cheap for too long. And I think that actually 
we probably will see quite a lot of things fall away but I do think there is still going to be money available and I think that is a good thing but it's just going to be for good businesses and good ideas. Advertising I think it's a bit of a game of two halves. I think that I think there's some there's, there is some glimmer of light for publishers and quality content um, creators in advertising with the disappearance of the cookie and what we're what we actually have. We have an opportunity to really start to unlock our competitive advantage again in the kind of advertising space. So I do think we need to be really mindful of the fact that that is an opportunity for us right now. I also think it's going to be two tiered. The Apple classes are not going to be affected. As in the same way that the sort of bottom end of the market and the middle market might be affected. So I think you will see some areas of advertising actually still perform well, be that luxury or travel or some of those things, but I do think it's gonna have a two tier. I think that glimmers, other glimmers of light, I'm coming out of a podcast business and I'm going into a publishing business. Maybe that's interesting timing for me, but the podcasting world will slow. It will slow, it has already slowed, but it's just gonna have slower growth. There is growth there and it is quite substantial. I mean, Acast just did their Q3 results and the advertising is up 21%. So they, there is growth to be had there. It's harder if you're a news brand in that environment because of the co our content slightly upsets advertisers in the podcast space. So it's thinking about some of the things you might unlock there. But I think podcasting is interesting. And then the things that I always think in times of a little bit of a crisis are things, I suppose, customer experience, it's really very cheap to focus on customer experience, but the return both in terms of what you can give your customers and actually make their world better, but also the revenue returns, be it around retention or just better e-commerce and click-through, just really focusing on the customer experience piece. It doesn't cost a lot, but the returns are amazing. So I would just be really focused on thinking about your customer's experience very cleanly. Partnering, I love a recession because people are up for doing deals in a different way. So actually, it's a time to do great partnerships, to find like-minded people. And I just think great brands can come together and build great things at times where they're not just focused on pushing through on their own sort of path. And other elements, I mean, out of something shit always comes something good, right? So like the platforms laying off 11,000 people in Meta and the Twitter sort of piece and the big war for talent, particularly around data and analytics and digital, there are going to be lots of people available to companies, which sounds dreadful, but I think that is a, a quite a helpful thing for many of us in the room if we come from a traditional media company. There will be some really good talent coming out of those companies. And so I think that is, I know, a real problem for many of us is the war for talent. Yeah. Great. Well, we've got some good glimmers there. So that's what, we, that's what we're here for. Hi, I'm Armando Yanucci. And I'm Anusha Kellyan. And we present Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at how our politics has got so broken and whether there's anything we can do to fix it. We hear from people shaping our society, from the front line to the corridors of power, alongside campaigners, journalists and satirists, including John Stewart, Ian Hislop, Rosamond Adukissi Deborah, and Catherine Haddon. You can listen to all three series now. Just search the New Statesman podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to newstatesman.com forward slash Westminster Reimagined.
You're going from a sort of podcast, digital business, yeah. growing yeah. to a very print business. But it did take Katy Perry to remind us, who she's one of the biggest people on Twitter, isn't she? And she said that about the wonderful joy that there is of reading a newspaper on a Sunday morning. It made me realise that, yeah, when it comes to reading for pleasure, obviously I do still enjoy print and lots of people do, but what do you, you know, all the, even in magazines, the, it's been a story of decline, hasn't it, generally, over the last decade. So going into your new job, what do you think about the print side of it? Can it be saved? Will, will, it, will it continue? Well, it's got some pretty shocking headwinds at the moment with cost of paper and so put to one side consumer demand. The actual headwinds are really bad around cost of paper, energy, all that sort of stuff. But I don't think for newspapers... And I'm not sure for magazines yet because I haven't started. But I don't think we'll get to a place that books got to, where if you think back to ebooks, we all thought, oh, that was the end of the book. And it capped out at 35%. So the book market is now 35% digital and the rest physical. I think what you sometimes have to think is not print digital, but tangible. And think about print as part of an of a, of a experience rather than just the format in and of itself. Because when I look at Hearst, Hearst has got... 20 amazing brands and it's got a portfolio of brands that are exceptional and if you start to think about those as franchises and start to think about what the right format might be for each of them in different ways then I think you start to do the right thing for print or the right thing for events and experiences or the right thing for e-commerce or the right thing for digital or podcasting or whatever that different delivery mechanism will be to connect with your consumers so I start from the premise that I love print, and even Tortoise has print, even though we're digital, we have a quarterly book. Yeah. And I think that if we can find a sustainable and profitable way for print to be part of the future of many of the brands in that portfolio, it won't be right for all of them. Two of the 20 brands are already fully digital and Digital Spy and Delish. And I would imagine, and you can see things like Cosmo have a much, don't publish every month now, they have a sort of less regular publishing schedule and they have a much bigger digital business now than they do print. So I think it'll be different for different brands, but I'm old fashioned. I hope that we can find a way that print remains part of whatever that sort of relationship you have with your customer is, and it is one of the ways that we bring people joy, information, entertainment, whatever they're looking for from our brands. But I'm a big fan of print, so and it'll you... be there for as long as it can be. <laughs> Hopefully if... forever. And if you look at the sort of digital transformation side of things, we've been talking mm. that for a long time. And I sometimes wonder if you go to a big company like Hearst or pretty much any big publisher, you think, well, is there any, is there any digital transformation let to, yet to do that they haven't already done? Surely, like, they've completely leveraged all these brands. But do you think there's still lots of work to do? Yes. Well, what sort of thing? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I think that magazines responded differently and had less immediate pressures than say news the industry that i came out of in that sort of first 20 years of digital right so the magazines were more resilient for longer for obvious reasons right i also think that when you think about the model of magazines advertising was always part of the content it wasn't like the world of newspapers where you had your page and the, the ad was over here and no one really read it unless it, and then you had your content whereas in magazines the advertising was part of the experience. And I think that the first phase of digital, banners and buttons and bollocks as I call it, was really bad for advertising in a brand and sort of material ways that many people have used print and TV advertising for, right? And I do think digital advertising is gonna come of age in the next two years in terms of 
it's always going to be great for performance marketing, right? But when you're 70%, we're nearly 70% of all ad spend in digital, it can't just be performance. You have to start thinking about how does it perform for brand? How does it perform for reputation? How does it perform for engage? It needs to move out of that. And as the digital experiences become more interactive, more immersive, as the sort of whole thing's grown up, I definitely think that there is a lot more to be done around digital experience. I mean, I still think, right, take a newspaper. When you open up a newspaper in print, you can see story hierarchy. Like when you scan across a double page spread of a newspaper, what story has the sort of weight of more space? When you look on your phone, and I read the Times every morning on my phone, I'm on a smartphone, and it's so funny, we get the paper as well. So, uh, so some days I'll look at the smartphone and then I'll look at the paper. And what's the weirdest experience for me is that the things I choose to read on my smartphone are the smallest stories <laughs> in the double page spread. And it's really weird because I'm then thinking, oh, I've got really bad news judgment. Because <laughs> obviously I grew up in that world. I'm looking at it thinking, oh my God, I'm not reading the things that the editor has chosen for me to read, right? Or thinks have more weight. And so I like doing the two different experiences, but by that, I still think even in news where we've come so far, there is still so much yet that we haven't yet resolved. Great experiences for customers have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Just have the satisfaction of finishing something. Endless scrolling is not good for humans. There's all this stuff that I think we've started to see different things build around. Magazines were later, they were less disrupted. They're doing a good job. There's more to be done. It's great to see things like e-commerce being so important to magazines now because we always knew that magazines were the sort of drove the sale, but we could never prove it. So there's lots of good stuff, but yeah, more to come. A couple more quick questions, because I know you've got to head off, haven't you? I have, yes, I'm going to meet the new team. Oh, very exciting. I'll tell you what, let's go on to that one then, the leadership question. Mm. Because one of the things that, whenever we survey our our readers, which isn't very often, but sometimes we survey our readers to find out what what really bothers them. And uh, they tend to say the the real challenge that we, from media leaders, that communicate to us is the human one. Like how you take people with you on a journey of change, how you, you can get the best vendors and things, but you've got your people with you. So do you have any sort of insights on what's the Katie Vanek-Smith way when it comes to sort of leading a team and you're going to be leading a big company, aren't you, in terms of what works for you? I always talk about teams like work family, be it running a team like when I was in Dow Jones, it was a team of two and a half thousand or be it Tortoise with 80 people, right? And the reason I call it a work family is that I think that there's a safety that you have with in a family environment. Let's talk about healthy families rather than dysfunctional families. But let's assume I'm being a healthy family. So you're in a family environment. It is safe, right? People have your back, right? You kind of like pull together on things. But you've all got the dodgy uncle that you don't want to sit next to at a Christmas dinner, right? <laughs> but you know that's family and you know that you have to do that. So, that, so for me, I, I always start by the premise that the people that, you know, work choose to work it's a big part of our life so if you have to start thinking about work-life balance i think you've failed you're starting from a broken start point you have to i think one find i think in our industry we are lucky enough to work in industry where there is a lot of joy and there is a lot of fun to be had and we work in things that matter and the brands that we work on and the things that we do people are interested in and it matters to people and it matters to society and i think that's a huge privilege so when you're at work, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a pretty good place. We, there are lots of jobs out there that might not have 
those dynamics in them. But I think when you're doing change, to your point, I think the thing I've learned, and I've done probably quite a lot of change programmes, mainly at News Corp. I haven't done so many at Tortoise. But in the sort of world of change, I think it is about treating people as humans, as adults, as bringing them into the journey. And I think we've all been affected by change that's happened behind closed doors and then it gets told to us. So people in Twitter are experiencing that right now, right? That terrible sort of decision from the top is no one sees it coming, no one understands necessarily why. That's really awful. And so if you are doing change programmes or transformation, I think the more you can bring the organisation in on that, and if you're small enough, you know, I'm about to join an organisation of 700 people, that's a good size, right? But that's a small enough team that everyone can be party and part of the conversations that you're having about the future direction of the company. And that's, if that's what I find we need to do when I'm in there, that's what I'll do. <laughs> well, look, I know you've got to go off and meet them now. I so have. I'm not going to hold you from them. Thank you very much. That's Congratulations right. on your great achievements at Tortoise, which has done amazing things, journalistically. And I'm sure it can be good luck at Hearst and Thank brilliant you very congratulations much. on the job. Thank Thanks you. very much, Katie. Thank you. Thanks, Dom, and thanks again, Katie, for coming to our event and talking so frankly. So, Dom, what were your big takeaways that you'd like people to remember from this? I think the uh, two two things which, which really stuck in my mind, I think number one is with the recession is, yes, it's going to present challenges, but it's definitely also going to present opportunities for everyone. Um, and if you look at canny kind of business leaders, they always do quite well in recessions because it creates lots of opportunities because things close, there's a lot of changes in the market and yeah, companies that position themselves well can actually do quite well out of recessions and coming out of the, come out of them stronger. So I like that, this idea that there will be opportunities there if you look for them. And I really liked her sort of take on the big leadership question as well. Her idea that treat your colleagues and your staff as sort of members of the work family. So you want to look after people and accept people and try and do your best for them. So she, yeah, she's got that kind of, I don't know, slightly maternal aspect, which I quite liked. But I like the idea sometimes when you're, you're managing people, you, you kind of forget that. But you, I think it's really important for companies to, especially as we go into the cost of living crisis, when a lot of people are going to find that really hard and, can, and certainly in in media and on the editorial side when you're not necessarily in the best paid jobs it's going to be quite important for companies to be able to do their bit to look after staff and I quite like that I, like the, I thought it was yeah well said. It's great to hear about that it's only the end of November but we've already heard about several companies doing sort of one-off or two cost of living payments and Mark Allen Group for example just gave a one blanket £1,000 pay rise to all staff under 30 grand and other places like the FT have done good cost of living payments but obviously it's not just about the money it's about the culture inside the company as well yeah even at Press Gazette I bought everyone a complimentary pint of beer didn't I the other evening oh you do that more than a, a one-off well, I must say I do what I can Charlotte I do what I can <laughs> helps keep us going <laughs> well thanks again Dom You've been listening to Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit and Press Gazette editor-in-chief Dominic Ponsford and we've been produced by Adrian Bradley. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe, review, all the usual things. See you next week.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.